What's up, everybody? Welcome back to episode 102 of The Locker Room. I know it's been a long time, and we apologize for taking a couple weeks off here, but we've had a lot to figure out in our own personal lives, and it's been kind of hard to you know, find the time to record, but we do hope to continue with the episodes. We love doing this and we love, you know, hearing from the people that listen about how they enjoy listening. So, um, you know, this is something that we hope to get back on a weekly basis. But as always, I'm your host, Johnny Lazarus, joined with Brett Hanfling and Justin Kappelmaster. We got a lot to catch up. Oh, my God, that was really loud. And <laughs> uh, we got a lot to catch up on. And, um, you know, we're excited to be here. So I'm going to kick it off to Cappy first. Cappy, I'm not going to tell your story for you, but uh, what's going on, man? Tell the people where you've been, what you're up to. No, nah, everything's good. Everything's good. Just in Indianapolis. As I was saying before, I kind of got shit on by Johnny over there for not being on this interview, which I heard was amazing. Um, but it's just been a whirlwind of events. I was in Jacksonville and um, I was on my way to Indianapolis when there's this huge snowstorm that was coming across and just canceled all the fucking flights out of Indy and everywhere. So flight got canceled and they got me on one 7 a.m. the next day. So um, it was pretty crazy. I was in Idaho before in Utah and literally just like got off a plane and then like <laughs> spent the night in a hotel, got on a plane in the morning and then went back home. And um, it's been pretty nuts, but in Indy right now and everything's going well and uh, we'll see where this goes. You know, boys, it's just about the grind and about the journey, but I'm loving it. So just as long as I can play goal, you'd be happy. That's all it is. So I'm doing good. And I got another, got another funny story I'll get to later that I, I murmur to Johnny, but it's yeah. pretty funny. Just living the dream over there in Indianapolis. You know how it is. <laughs> no, I, I, I love to kind of hear and watch your journey. You know, it's you're bouncing around, but you have a good spirit and, you know, you meet new teammates and you have new coaches, but it's just it's fun to watch, you, you know, your journey continue. But uh, I'm happy we're back here. You know, we took a little break and I missed it. And, you know, we were busy and the December break and the holidays and the new year. Um, but I feel good that we're back. The interview with Dan Grunfeld, the son of Ernie Grunfeld, who was, um, you know, a professional player for the Knicks and Ernie's parents both survived the Holocaust. Um, it's an awesome story about the human power to, you know, keep going and also a story about sports and basketball, which we love. So it was awesome. And, um, you know, that will be after this intro. Yeah, very excited to share that one with Dan. Uh, he was awesome. Also, also, I just had a lisp. He was uh, awesome. He thought that I said that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Dan was awesome. Such a great story. The author of the the book he published in November called By the Grace of the Game. So you guys will definitely love that interview. So it has been a long six weeks. I feel like a lot of stuff has changed in our lives. Um, Brett, we have something in common that we haven't talked about on here yet. Um, I don't know if you're comfortable talking about it, but I'm, I'm you know, it's a little, a little fresher for me, but, you know, I'm not going to say much. Um, but as of like three days ago, I am now single and back on the market for the first time in almost four years. So, um, you know, it's, it's been a really hard couple of days. I'm not going to lie. I do feel like Jason Siegel and forgetting Star Marshall. I've been crying on the couch a little bit. Eating let's, cereal. Let's, let's go to Hawaii. But uh, yeah, let's go to Hawaii. <laughs> uh, I don't want to talk about it too much, Brett. I know yours is a little more. No, um, I mean, listen, mine's not as fresh as yours. I yeah. definitely wasn't going to bring yours up, but um, we're obviously here for you. You look good. You got a Thank little, a little glow. Even if you've been crying, you look good. You got the hair flow coming out the Thank hat. You. It's just aquaphor um, on my lips. <laughs> okay, if, that, if that's what works. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Cappy is now like the lone relationship guy on the podcast. So, you know, we'll take all, I'll take all the relationship advice, boys. I got all yeah. the knowledge. Hey, I do hear these some... things come in threes, though. So be careful. <laughs> oh, that's not good. <laughs> I was just to say, this can lead to some good stories for the pod. Who knows? You know, we'll yeah. see what happens. A little adventures await, maybe. But uh, well, Cap, I know you got a good story to tell. I know uh, you're with an old friend of mine, 
down in Indiana. So uh, yeah. let's hear that. I want to hear that story. That was pretty funny. Um, but uh, but before that, I will say that, uh, Johnny, um, you're a good-looking uh, Jewish boy, so I'm not too Thank worried you. about your future. Thank you. Um, you too, Brad. You're very. You guys are both very handsome kids. Kind words. Um, Thank you, Kathy. But so, like, yeah, morale <laughs> boost. The morale boost. Um, so yeah, I'm in Indy, like I was saying prior, and before our road trip uh, yesterday or two days ago. Like I said, I just got up here, you know, whatever, whatever it was, two days ago. So I haven't really met any of the boys except for my roommate and stuff like that. Um, so the coach brings everybody in the locker room like 20 minutes before the road trip, has me stand up. And I feel like I was in like a classroom, like, oh, this is a new student, Justin Kaplanaster. Welcome. <laughs> and they used to class kind of bullshit. And he's like, uh, <laughs> say, you know, say your name, you know, give us your name and um, where you're from. And, you know, just something about you that you enjoy. Like birthright. It's like birthright icebreakers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Except everybody's Jewish. Yeah. <laughs> So I stand up, you know, give my, you know, spiel, Justin Kaplmaster, blah, blah, blah. First thing that popped to my mind that I enjoyed doing outside hockey was the podcast. So I said, I have a podcast called The Locker Room that I do with a bunch of my my, my close buddies and, um, blah, and blah, blah, blah. Literally, I didn't even finish getting through the state. <laughs> and like I said, let, let me re- remind you, I don't know anybody on this fucking team yet. Some kid randomly stands up and goes, I knew it. I fucking knew it. The Locker Room. <laughs> it's a locker room, isn't it? I knew I recognized you from somewhere, and everybody starts crying, laughing. Like it was the funniest thing. I was like shook, and then immediately he comes up to me. Um, turns out it's one of Laz's good buddies from UMass that he roomed together. Griff, yeah, he's my roommate. And, yeah, and of course the stories already started flowing. And like, I mean, he's he's such a good kid. Honestly, I'm surprised he's not Jewish. He's kind of got that look to him. But <laughs> it's so funny too because I am like Griff was that guy that would stand up in the locker room and just like scream like he he's like I could like picture him doing that it's it's honestly so funny too that like you know I'm sure your teammates who didn't know you were like thinking at the time oh is this like a really popular podcast that this kid's like a fan of it you know like <laughs> I don't know I'd be like we're global what do you mean we're we're yeah. a global podcast we, yeah. we stretch to Indiana where our core is in Indiana uh-huh. and then we're in New York but, but everybody um, finds the podcast. And like the and just like the idea of the podcast, so interesting. I mean, even when we were when we were recording this before, I just got a call from my head coach because he likes to do his whole synopsis kind of before the thing, and he literally was asked me what I was doing, and I was like, I'm in the middle of recording uh, an intro for the podcast right now. He had me tell him the whole spiel of what it's about, you know, um, and you know how it started and, and how it is today, and he was like, Oh my god, it's unbelievable! I know this person and that person. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's it's, re- it's really cool, but it was so, yeah. so funny that happened. Yeah, it's awesome. Johnny, what's your icebreaker? Same situation. Um, that's actually a good question. I, I'm Thank I'm you. surprised you said the the podcast cap. No, um, that's a good one. Wait, so uh, it's it's your name, uh, where you're from, and one thing you love outside hockey. It's just no. one thing that you enjoy doing outside of hockey. Kind of one thing you enjoy like, doing outside of hockey. Oh, well, I know Brett is just something. is going to be unique. apple picking, probably. No, uh, why do you like <laughs> apple picking? But now I got to go alone. But you want to come with me, Johnny, next fall? Definitely not. No, could could not uh, want to do anything less. I'll go on your shoulders. <laughs> we'll get some dope picks, dude. You well, don't know how good those picks are. What's up, Cap? I think I was gonna say. I think we talked about this like uh, in the past, but uh, like obviously, kids on the team are coming up to me. Oh, what's the name of the podcast? You know, oh, who have you had on? Blah blah blah. Like, what's the first person you say like that you've had on the podcast if you're trying to be like a big, big deal? Kind of depends who I'm talking to, honestly. If it's like a sports fan, I'll I'll say like Schefter. Or Ariel yeah. Hawani, or even like Foxy, honestly. And then yeah. uh, you know, if it's someone who like loves movies, I would say like Roy Rosegarden, maybe. I'm try- like I'm honestly blank. Who else have we? Have? Comedians like Jared Freed. I think Jared Freed and yeah, Jared's uh, a big one. That's uh, true. Um, That's the pen who you're talking to. Lindsay, yeah. talk about. 
Or even like I, I love saying Jake Marsh because Jake's like a friend of ours now. Jake's the man, honestly. I, he's he's awesome. We actually we, gave we do, Jake and I shout out in the interview. Can you say that, Brett? No, I was just saying we do have enough people in different worlds that you can mm-hmm. cater it to who you're talking to and yeah. bring up one, like a couple of good people for each type of you know pe- pe- person. Um, yeah, like honestly, um, you know, I'll, I'll talk about it one more time. But I was talking to Lindsay Metzler about my breakup for like a quick, you know, a quick second because. A lot of her, like the We Met at Acme polls, dude, they are crazy, like relevant no, and relatable. Like I, I, I actually, <laughs> I'm up at like 2 a.m. and I'm on the We Met at Acme Instagram story, like clicking through polls and I'm like, oh shit, like this is how I feel or oh, you know, this is about me. So like uh, someone like Lindsay has been amazing for our podcast too and like just a friendship. And um, I know she puts on a lot of events in the city that, you know, are for meeting people and maybe, you know, I, I've been in the past like just to go, but you know, who knows? I, I don't know, man. It's going to be a weird a weird time. I feel like these next six weeks, but then dude, like that's what fires me up. Like if we just like put our heads down and grind for six weeks, like we'll, you know, pop up and it's spring. And then it's like the best five, six months of the year. You know, like there's nothing better than like when April 15th comes around. Like that's just like, Oh shit, we're in it. You know why? Yeah. So you, you tweeted about it and it's a, it's not an original. That was a different tweet. That was a different tweet. No, it wasn't the one today. Yeah. No, I was tweeting just like, I can't wait for that first day where it's like warm out. And like, that's you, what you, you just said. No, no, no. No, I'm saying now. I'm saying now, like, April 15th to me is like end of March madness, beginning of NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, masters, warm weather, just like every, like, sports world is amazing. And go, the yeah. weather is amazing. And everyone's just like high spirited, good mood. Summer Fridays are around the corner. Like, it's just a good time, you know? Yeah. So today was only like 44 degrees and some sunlight, but we had like half of that buzz that people are out. I was in Madison yeah. Square Park. Um, I, I didn't even bring my big jacket because after all these really freezing days, you think 44 is like nice, but I was yeah, pretty cold. cold. But yeah. <laughs> no. That's what but, I was trying to say. Like today was like a nice day, but I can't wait for like shorts. Yeah, it was good. There was that buzz, but yeah, you're right. That first pretty nice day in spring, there's a whole nother energy uh-huh. in, in the air. Especially on like a college campus. I haven't really experienced that in New York City. Like, all I remember is Cap. I'm sure you can attest too. Like, Cap, season's over. You know, the, the boys are drinking like outside one of the houses and just like, it's just warm out and you just like feel so good, you know? Yeah, it's it's different. Like, like well, you're in Florida. Uh, like, Fuck like, off. <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah. That's why I was like, I was like, why? I was like, why is it the best time of the year? But obviously, when you explain that from a sports aspect, it's unreal. But uh, from you, New Yorkers, like, I feel like, every day when it hits that mark you guys are outside or you're darting or it's yeah, brunch dude. or it's lines of that you know what i mean well like the last two months every footstep i take outside penn station walking to my office it's like fuck my life fuck my life fuck my life fuck my life and then once it's warm it's like oh my god i'm in a great mood you know yeah plus johnny are you so you're trying to move into the city also so maybe you know everything will come together at that sort of at that time um yeah moving in weather sports yeah i'm delaying my move in a little bit just because i want to like kind of you know figure things out you know on my own obviously just like taking time to like reassess and self-reflect and all that stuff so um you know focusing on moving in right now is not like my top priority um i was actually thinking about maybe even trying to like take a trip somewhere next month like you know austin texas or um you know somewhere cool like that i kind of just want to get out of new york for a bit anyone there (laughs) No, but I've been there like five yeah. times. Just get like an Airbnb with like a friend. Yeah. Well, Cappy and I lived in Texas for two years. I went to Austin. Like, do you not know this? No, I don't know any of this. Do you not know how the podcast? I mean, Cappy and I played hockey together for two years in Texas. I or no, I one year. I, guess. In, I didn't know it was in Texas. Yeah. Oh, one year. I didn't know one it was in year. Texas. But yeah, no, well, I, I fell in love with Austin, Austin, Texas. 
and it wasn't, but it wasn't Austin. Like, no. like obviously, Glass went down to Austin, but the place we were living in was the complete opposite of Austin. Wow. Yeah. We were Wichita in Wichita Falls, Falls, which is like two hours north of Dallas and on the border of Oklahoma. Actually, Wichita I learned Falls, that it was the like LA. The it LA was like, of California. The LA of, exactly, whatever. The LA of California. The LA, the LA of, of California, <laughs> yeah. Texas. Of California. But I found out, Cap, uh, when Tiger King came out, Wichita Falls is like a 40 minute ride from that like uh, zoo. Really? Yeah. <laughs> oh. Wichita Falls, home of the 40 minutes away from Tiger yeah. King, where Tiger King was filming. No, honestly, Cap, you and I talk about it, though. That was like the best experience we've ever had. Like, that was so much fun. And I, I mean, I just love Texas in general. Like, it's such a great place. I, I'll go to Texas with you after we go to Hawaii. Down. We still haven't even met in person. Was that on this version <laughs> of? Uh, true. It's so wild. We'll, we'll meet. Let's take a trip we'll together. Meet, yeah. The first time we meet, we'll be together for a month in Hawaii and Texas. Yeah. But I feel like there's also been a lot going on, like in the, you know, entertainment world, the sports world. Um, you know, obviously the trending thing right now, Brett's obviously the big Knicks guy on here and we got a, you know, a big Knicks guest, but when, I, I, so I don't know when the exact NBA trade deadline is, but I know it's Thursday. Yeah. So what do you think in the Knicks are going to do here? Does Randall go? I Oof. mean, he's been, put, you know, put me on the spot. So, yeah. um, you know, one of the big names that have been talked about for the Knicks is De'Aaron Fox, uh, possibly for a Randall swap to, you know, I guess, you know, the high profile players on the team, both underperforming a little bit, but the Kings traded Tyrese Halliburton and their young guard to make room for Fox. And they also drafted Davion Mitchell this, this season. Um, so that's less likely Portland traded CJ McCollum already to the Pelicans, which was another target. Um, I just, and Sabonis was traded another target. Yeah. So there's really not too much out there. I, I think Randall stays. I just, it, it's, it's so risky at this point, you know, they still have a good future with young players and picks. I'd like them to get rid of a couple players to open up like Alec Burks and Kemba Walker to open up rotation spot for Cam Reddish, but I don't expect fireworks to happen. I want to relate this to you cap too. Cause I know, you know, obviously we, we can talk basketball, but like to me, it's just so crazy how quickly a fan base can turn on a player. And I know, you know, obviously Julius Randall had, the most incredible season last year and this year has obviously not been up to par, but it's, it's been really wild to see this fan base just completely like turn on him. And I know his body language hasn't been great. He doesn't seem like he's the best teammate, but dude, like this guy last year, this time last year was like the King of New York, like the most popular athlete in New York sports. And now he's just like become the biggest villain. It's why. So cap like you as an athlete, you're playing pro sports. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy. No, it's about where, like it's about where you're playing, man. He's playing in, one of the biggest hotbeds of all time in New York city. It's, it's similar. It's similar to um, like the Toronto Maple Leafs and playing for that organization or the Montreal Canadians in the hockey standpoint, if you're doing well, the fans are the, you're, you're the, you're the, you're their, their life and savior. But if the mm-hmm. minute you start bad, it's fuck you get out of this town, trade the guy, trade Literally. the guy, trade. The guy. That's what it is. It's just trade Randall. Everyone's been saying it's so bizarre. Like, do you, do you honestly, Brett? So do you think it's, like I'm, I'm trying to think like from the athlete mindset. Do you think a big part of it was that there was no fans last year, like kind of less pressure? No, I think first of all, he outperformed last year the wildest expectations. He was second team All NBA after being like a solid player the year before. He shot the ball better than he ever has in his career. But so I'm saying there's no of, fans in the stands. I, I know. And then the playoffs come around and he sucked because there was yeah, fans. I just don't buy it. I just don't buy it. That lines up, but I don't buy it. He was always going to come down a little bit. Then he wasn't playing well. And then the fans got on him and it sort of snowballed and it's just become a mess. I I don't need to trade him, but at the same time, he's not been a good player for the next. Yeah. I mean, the Julius Randle thing, we'll see how it plays out. I'm curious to see. I think he's just going to end up leaving because, you know, I think that's just the way it's headed, but I don't know if anyone's going to take him. 
Um, but enough about the Knicks and sports for a little bit. Let's go into TV shows. I kind of started Euphoria, which I find very interesting. I haven't gotten into the new season of Ozark yet, but I am due for that because I did love Ozark. But are you guys watching anything? Cappy, I know you're big on the shows. I, you got something cooking here. Well, honestly, I've been tempted to start Euphoria. Um, I've heard only amazing things, but I've also huh. I've also heard that you're you're putting yourself in a position to see about twenty dicks uh, an episode. You see um, twenty dicks a day yeah, after practice. The rink all the time, so I don't yeah. Want to <laughs> um, I heard it's unreal. Actually, I do got to put you guys in a show. It's it's on HBO Max. I don't know if you guys have that. Well, I think yeah. it's streaming on Blue too. It's called. They are, there was already a season, I believe it came out last year, but I just watched the first season and part of the second season um, about two weeks ago. It's called The Righteous Gemstones. Never heard of it. Um, it's one of, the, one of the best shows I've ever seen. The cast in the show is all time. I don't know. I'm terrible with actors' names, but the, the cast looks after this. <laughs> it's, but it's all uh, time. It's, <laughs> it's Danny McBride. Oh, yeah, really? I'm bringing the show up on this podcast because it's literally about like a group of like churchgoers and they go around and they just like preach their word and like it's like one of the biggest like um like they're like the biggest churchgoers like in the like world. Like a mega church. They're like one of those yeah. churches that like makes a shit ton of money and huh. like is like corrupt and that type of shit. I love Danny McBride. So. so good, dude. It is so so good. Um, so it's definitely one you got to put on. But I heard Euphoria is great. I need to start that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Euphoria is good. I'm on season two. Season two is nuts. But I have something else to put you on. Let's do it. Ready? The Tinder Swindler. It's the documentary on Netflix. You probably heard about it. It's awesome. It's really crazy. It's about kind of what it sounds. There's a dude, uh, a Jewish dude, actually, um, who matches with a woman. And not to give anything away, but maybe isn't 100% honest about things. And it just gets crazier and crazier. And now I've seen it all over social media. And I need a a sequel. I need... um, I need a, I said this on Twitter. I need a, a collab with uh, Billy McFarlane from Firefest. It's that type of thing. It's awesome. Maybe if you guys watch it, we talk about it next time because I think it's it would be a fun fun talk. So it's not a documentary. It's a show. It is. Oh, it's, it's a, a documentary. documentary. It's like it's like almost oh. a two hour documentary. Gotcha. How do we get the podcast? How do we get him on the podcast? I don't. He might be too toxic for the podcast. <laughs> I, I guess the the listens would go up, but that might that might be cancelable. We don't want that. You'll you'll watch it. You'll say you watch it at least. Maybe we'll we'll discuss it next time. Because you know are, me, I don't lie. I won't say that I watch it if I don't. It's not I, it's not a whole yeah. show. You don't have to watch eight hours. It's an hour and a half or whatever. I still never saw Firefest. <laughs> Firefest is great. You should watch Firefest. I never watched it. You should watch. You would like Firefest. I'll check it out. It's still on Netflix. I don't know, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I'll I'm not check checking. It out. I'm not checking back if it's on Netflix three years later. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll, I'll figure something out. But I think that's going to wrap it up for the intro. I want to send it over to Dan Grunfeld. You guys are going to really enjoy him. Such an incredible and powerful story. So let's kick it over to Dan. This guy grew up in Franklin Lakes, New Jersey, before moving to Wisconsin. He is the author of the recently published book called By the Grace of the Game. He played D1 basketball at Stanford University, had a brief stint with our New York Knicks, and spent some time playing pro overseas. We're super pumped that he's here. We've been talking to him for uh, a week and a half or so now, and he's done a pretty long media tour, it seems like, uh, for the new book. So welcome to the Locker Room Podcast, our friend Dan Grunfeld. Dan, what's going on? 
Hey, hey guys, thanks so much for having me, man. I'm psyched to be here. Yeah, we're pumped to have you. I actually got my MBA shirt on for you, coincidentally. There you go. But right off the bat, I actually wanted to give a shout out to a friend, a mutual friend that we have in common, who I saw posted your book on his Instagram story, Dane Delegro, who's a big f- friend of our podcast. You know what? I'm glad you saved that because uh-huh. you didn't tell me beforehand. So Dane is like my little brother. Uh, yeah, we uh, yeah we played in the Maccabia games together, and so I he'll call me up and he'll say, "Big bro, what's going on?" I say, mm-hmm. "Hey, little bro, talk to me." So that that's truly a friend of mine. So now you're the second. Uh, above six foot five Jew that we've had on the show. They're rare. Listen, hopefully many more. <laughs> yeah. We're going to try yeah, to find them. There's not too many out there. <laughs> yeah. You'll, you'll find us. So I know you've been really busy lately, like talking about the book and obviously with Holocaust Remembrance Day last week. Um, you know, I kind of just, I don't want to talk about the book right off the bat necessarily, but you know, the book kind of relates to your life with basketball and your story with your family and the Holocaust. But I kind of want to rewind back to the beginning and just talk about your relationship with basketball and how that got started, you know, from, from you as a young age. Yeah. So listen, I was born around the game of basketball, literally. So I was delivered by C-section and my parents scheduled my birth around my dad's basketball schedule. So he was a player for the Knicks. So uh-huh. he went on one long road trip. He was there for my birth. Then he went on another long road trip and he was there for my bris. And mm. actually, since there are Knicks fans listening, I'm sure uh, that first road trip he went on was to Texas. And it was the road trip where Bernard King had 50 points on back to back nights. You know, it's a very wow. famous moment. And, you know, my dad and Bernard played together in college and he's, you know, I call him Uncle B to this day. So mm-hmm. that was the first road trip. But so, yeah, I, I was born around the game of basketball, always, you know, grew up playing it, going to Knicks practices with my dad, going to playoff games and all-star games. And to my parents' credit, and particularly my dad, like they didn't force basketball on me, but, you know, kids want to be like their parents. And, you know, it was what my dad always did. And so it's what I always wanted to do. So Dan, we, you know, we all seen those videos of little Steph and Seth Curry out there. (laughs) I guess we got to dig your videos up. Good luck. (laughs) But did, did you like realize at the time how cool it was being around these NBA players or was it kind of just like your dad's buddies? Honestly, it's just, when it's your reality, it's your reality. I mean, yeah. you kind of understand that other kids don't know Patrick Ewing, you know, and other kids <laughs> don't come home and like Trent Tucker is not in the in the living room, you know, because those kind of things used to happen. But you get used to it, you know, and it just becomes your life. And so I, looking back on it, I write about this very candidly in the book. Like, I, yeah, I was so lucky and privileged not only to get to know these people, to have amazing memories with my family, but also for me as a basketball player to get to observe and to learn and to really see like how the greats went about their business. I think that really helped me, you know, in my career. And, and then, so, you know, obviously with your book, um, you did some work with Ray Allen, which is you yes. know, obviously very cool. So, you know, you obviously played basketball at a very high level for a long time. The relationships that you had for maybe as a kid, how important was it now that you're an adult to maintain those relationships in the game of basketball? And do you still have a lot of friends in the league currently? Yeah, listen, I mean, you know, basketball is such a great connector and it's a big part of my book. We always say in my family, the, the ball itself, it doesn't know what language you speak, what country you're from, what religion you are, color your skin is, doesn't care. And that's the power of basketball. And so it's certainly been like that in my dad's life and in my life. And you know, my best friends to this day are guys I played with or even people I might not have played with, but that basketball brought us together. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, still have so many of those relationships. I still have friends in the NBA, but I'm getting a little bit older. So my generation of guys, like guys my class, there are very few left. I mean, Carmelo Anthony is my year. We actually played on the same team at ABCD camp. I he, I won't say we're like close <laughs> or anything like that. Uh-huh. But I'm just trying to think like, because, you know, JJ Redick was a buddy of mine in my, uh, my year, same position, but, you know, he recently <laughs> retired. So you couldn't, getting you slim, couldn't, slim pickings. You couldn't outlast JJ Redick and Carmelo Anthony? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
I, I wasn't even close. Yeah, I guess Melo came back because he wanted to outlast you. And uh, yeah, exactly. JJ, JJ could have played forever, but he uh, he hung it up early. And he's great on TV. Yeah, great and unbelievable player. Like when I used to watch him in high school and college, I was just such a fan of his game, and it just has translated every level. And yes, you're you're right. Like his content is amazing too. So very uh, happy for all his success on and off the court. Well, speaking of TV, I don't know. I mean, people listening might recognize you from last week. You were on NBA on TNT with Adam Lefko, who's actually been on our show as well. I mean, how cool is it for you to be on that kind of platform and then hear Charles, Shaq, and Ernie talk about the Holocaust and talk about your whole story? I mean, that was incredible. It was. I mean, so meaningful, so grateful that they featured my family's story. And then to hear the conversation afterwards, yeah. to your point, like Shaq and Chuck and Ernie and Kenny, like talking about the Holocaust. That's a really special and important thing. And that's such a big purpose of why I wrote the book is to kind of shine a light on this history, spread awareness. And, you know, the book, there's a wrapper of basketball. You know, there are funny and fun stories. It's this amazing basketball journey. But yeah, my grandparents are Holocaust survivors, right? And so for those guys to give it that platform to speak on it was amazing. Can you talk about just like how you got to the point of I'm going to write a book? Yeah, I love to write. So when I was playing professional basketball, I had contributing writing positions to several websites, love to storytell. And I always knew that there was this big story. And But I think the time needed to be right. So when I retired as a player, I went to Stanford to get my MBA. And finally, I had a little bit of space and time to explore other interests, other projects. And I remember, you know, I talked about it with my wife and considered it. And I just remember one night looking at her and be like, it's now, time is now, mm -hmm. you know, I, I have to do it. And so but I knew then that if I was going to do it, it had to be kind of an all-encompassing thing. And so, you know, I spent a year and a half doing research. I woke up at 6.02 a.m. every morning for eight months to write my first draft. Why you know, 6.02? Like, why not 6.04, man? It was just I guess, it's yeah. early. And yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, like, yeah, I, I just set the alarm like that. And, and uh -huh. that's when I got up. But honestly, when I was done with that first draft, my wife was like, oh, I'm so proud of you. And, and I appreciate it. But I told her, which is the truth. Really, the only thing I did was I had the discipline to get my ass out of bed every single morning. And that comes from basketball. That's yeah. what I did as a player, right? So, like, it, it was just this really, really long, personal, meaningful journey. But it's a story I needed to tell. You know, it, it's it's a basketball story that's bigger than basketball. I was say, do you want to quickly sort of walk through our listeners? I don't know. You know, I wasn't aware of the story before, you know, you started to hit the hit the rounds a little bit. And I don't know if some of our listeners have heard about it. Yeah, I'm sure many haven't. So it's because there's a, a New York audience here, right? And so my dad, Ernie yeah. Grunfeld, played for the Knicks. He was the general manager of the team during the 90s. You know, so very well-known guy, certainly in New York City, but just in general when it comes to basketball and sports. But very few people know that my dad is the only player in NBA history whose parents survived the Holocaust. And actually, the research suggests he's the only player in the history of the four major American sports leagues whose parents survived the Holocaust. Yeah, I was going to so, say that's probably, yeah. Yeah, and... and you know, it's not something he talks about much publicly. He doesn't conceal it. You know, he wore number 18 for the Knicks. You know, that, that's a you know, symbolic number in Judaism. So he doesn't conceal his background, but it's a, very, it's a hard history. So it's not something he talks about that much. And so my grandmother, who's 96 years old, lives in the Bay Area, 25 minutes from me and my wife, is doing amazing. You know, she was saved twice by Raul Wallenberg in Budapest. You know, and Raul Wallenberg is a Swedish diplomat, considered one of the greatest heroes of the Holocaust. And she also saved people's lives. And so... You know, I always grew up around her, knowing her story. My grandfather was in a forced labor camp in Hungary. So, you know, basketball came, shined its light on my family when we really needed it. And my book is called By the Grace of the Game. You know, and, and you could understand that. You know, my dad came to America as an immigrant who didn't speak English, who had never touched a basketball. 
and he was standing on top of the Olympic podium roughly 10 years later. So it's a really hopeful and inspirational story. Yeah, I was going to say that from what I've heard and just sort of read about, I, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's powerful, but then the hope that when, you know, your dad came to America and basketball gave you guys this new life and then passed it to his kids who now have this life. It's just, it's a remarkable story. Yeah. That's why I wrote it. You know, I always felt it growing up and, and I'm very honest in the book about the pressure I felt as a player, not only because my dad was a very well-known player, but because of this history, you know, like again, Mm -hmm. my grandmother lost five siblings and both parents in the Holocaust. My grandfather lost his whole family. So my dad never had grandparents. They were all killed in Auschwitz, you know? And so that, and I grew up so differently. And like we just, like we said before, right. I'm running around Madison square garden, (laughs) taking hands with the ushers, right? It's a different, different Uh way to come up. And of course my parents and grandparents couldn't be happier about that. But at the same time, you know, I, I always have carried this history very closely. So that manifested in my basketball career and my basketball journey. And then it was also a big reason why I wanted to write this book. There's also added pressure because you're six six, and we don't we don't get so many of those in our uh, in gotta, our. You got to make it work, man. You got to <laughs> do something with that. <laughs> yeah, we couldn't we couldn't waste your height on nothing. Yeah, for all those reasons, I felt the pressure. But also, I mean, since you come out with this book, I, it was published in November, correct? Or yes. it came out in November. Um, how many people have kind of told you their own story that like related to maybe a sport or um, you know just Holocaust survivors in general? How many people have reached out to you to like relate to you in a sense? every day and it, it's such a special part of the book because we all have our stories and it doesn't have to be with the holocaust or the nba we all have family stories we all come from somewhere but for me given the content of my book i've had yeah people you know whose grandparents were survivors who lost family or who are just immigrants to america or just have gone through you know troubles in their own life and overcome adversity and so that part of it is so rewarding you know because my grandma always says, if we don't tell these stories, no one else will. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's so that that's just something that I'm so grateful for. Fred, I know you had a story. Yeah. Right? So my one of my best friends from growing up actually has somewhat of a similar story. His grandfather was in Auschwitz, survived, got out, moved to America, started a he became a tailor, started a uh, suit company. And now he uh, fits. He fits Obama and Clinton and, and wow, big actors wow. and celebrities. And uh, he wrote a book, made, uh, Measure of a Man. Um, it's another remarkable story. And, you know, it just it shows the power of yeah. you know, humans and what we could do and, and how we could, you know, reinvent ourselves and, and keep going for our families. Incredible. Yeah. So changing topics a little bit. Um, I have a little bone to pick with your dad. So <laughs> <laughs> let's get into it, man. I I, I read this before. I wasn't totally aware. So he was the Knicks GM up until 99 and they started the season. Not so well. They were 21 and 21 and he was sort of fired. They said he was, I think they said he was just uh, dismissed for a bit. That was the season. They had the, you know, remarkable run to get to the finals and they lost and they wanted to bring him back. Is this true? Not everything you read is true. So, yeah, no, I'm not aware of of them wanting to bring him back. But all the other things you said are true. So so I read after they got to the finals, they're like, we made a mistake. We got to bring Ernie back. And he bring him back now. (laughs) He ends up going to Milwaukee. The Knicks have not. That was the end of it. The Knicks haven't had a good GM since then. Well, I I think Leon Rose is doing a good job now. And they really haven't had a good run besides that one year with Carmelo and, you know, a fun year last year. So come on. I, you know, you could defend, you could defend him. He's not here, but. No, listen, and I write about this whole experience in my book because I was a freshman in high school when my dad was let go. And like you said, they were 21 and 21. 
he was, you know, fired towards the end of the year. You know, and he had made trades for Latrell Sprewell and Marcus Camby. You know, and it took a little yeah. time for it to come together. But yes. the Knicks made the playoffs as the eighth seed. They upset the Heat in the first round. Without they went to the NBA. <laughs> yeah, and then they went to the NBA Finals, and Sprewell and Camby were really leading the charge. So, yeah, and, I, and again, I, I mentioned all this in the book. Like, there were billboard in New York City, bring back Ernie. People were wearing masks of his face to the game. So <laughs> really? there was like, yeah, there was a lot of that sentiment. But no, I, I never heard anything about like that actually being a thing that they want that they were going to bring him back. And he was hired by the Milwaukee Bucks not long after. And they went to the Eastern Conference Finals a few years later. And then, you know, the rest was kind of history. And he had this amazing career as an executive. But uh, listen, man, the Knicks, like my dad, when he came to America, and by the way, my dad lost his older brother when they first got here. So he was diagnosed with leukemia and passed away within a year. And so Jeez. that's a, a huge tragedy in our family. And so my dad just went to the park in Queens to make friends, learn English and heal from that loss. And at that time, my grandfather would take him to the old garden to watch the Knicks, like sit in the nosebleeds to watch them. And then years later, he's playing for the team. Then he's running the team. Right. So this is why you know, my book is called By the Grace of the Game. That's the only way something like that happens. But for me, the Knicks will always mean so much, you know, because that's the origin story is really it's at Madison Square Garden. It's with the Knicks. Mm-hmm. Do you guys garden all these days? Well, not in the last two years, <laughs> right, yeah, but uh, <laughs> yeah, listen, we, we always kind of find our way there. And my dad and I, we, at halftime, we walk around the concourse and just kind of take it in. And it's always special. We always just look at each other like, man, th- there's no place like this. And my dad will probably run into 25 people he knows or that know it. Like, you know, you can't take two steps without people Ernie and or someone he went to high, high school with. But uh, yeah, I love the garden. There's no, there's no place like it. Yeah, so I was there last night. You know, Knicks are having a disappointing season, but the garden was packed. There, there was a buzz. I mean, John Morant was in town, and, um, you know, they show up, and people love the Knicks, and they have fun, and it's sort of never going to change. I, I tell people, like, you, if you're a basketball fan or an NBA fan, you want the Knicks to be good because right. there's nothing like Madison Square Garden on fire, and that's yeah. what it's like. Like, and I was there front row seat in the 90s, like when it when it was like Starks and Ewing and Oakley and Mason. And like, it was so electric. There's there's no place like New York City for a winning basketball team. I want to talk. I mean, I, I hate to kind of go away from the Knicks a little bit, but um, I, I just want to ask you more about, I know you have a kid. Is it just one, one son or you have two kids now? I have a son and another son on the way. <laughs> I, I remember that. You told me that. Um so I guess for you, you know, how important is it to kind of relay this? St- like, at what age do you really bring this kind of thing up? Because I feel like it's such a difficult thing as a parent to, you know, teach your kids about the Holocaust. But but I feel like when you're a kid, everything in the world seems so good and great. And you can't even imagine something like that happening. So how do you kind of, you know, put that upon a young kid? Well, first of all, that's a that's a conversation that I will have with my wife. Yeah. And her, you know, we'll do that <laughs> yeah. as, as partners 100%. Uh-huh. Listen, like this is my kid's story too. Yeah, you know, and so I can hand this to them one day, and they'll hand it to their kids one day. Because you have to know where you come from, and that's the m- most meaningful thing that I that I could do. Listen, I, I think you're right. Like they have to be ready for the history. Yeah, bar mitzvah age seems you know is my gut instinct of like when would likely be be the right time to kind of engage with the story, engage with the history, but. Whenever it is, it's going to be something very meaningful. And I'm very proud to be able to share with them. And it's theirs. Like, it belongs to them. Like, this is this is ours. You know, this is where mm-hmm. we come from. So they have to know about it. Well, it's interesting, too, because, you know, your kids are probably going to be that, like, first generation that don't have living family who are affected by it. 
yeah, I mean, uh, listen, the generation of Holocaust survivors is you know, getting older. And, you know, my grandma, as I said, 96, doing amazing. And, but she, a lot of her friends were survivors as well. And in the last five years, we've lost many of them. And so, yeah, to your mm-hmm. point, like, it, it is, you know, this is probably the first generation that won't grow up with that presence. But I always, I ask people, you know, when I speak, if they've met a Holocaust survivor, and a lot of people haven't, I say, you know what, read my book, and you'll know one, because mm-hmm. you'll get to know my grandmother, you know, and she's the most amazing, inspirational person. I tell people, if she could go through what she went through and overcame what she and overcome what she overcame, yeah. there's hope for us all. I'm also assuming that, you know, I've obviously, you know, done birthright, playing the Maccabee games and I've, Brett, I don't know if you've been, but I've, you know, been to Yad Vashem in Israel. I'm sure, you know, obviously I I feel like most Jews have, but you know, that experience for me, as deep as it was, I can't imagine the feeling I would have had walking through there if I had family that survived it. So I, you know, I'm assuming you've been there and what was your takeaway and your experience like? Because it hits everyone so differently. I, like I was walking next to my best friend whose grandmother survived and just I kind of saw it in him, like what he was going through. And, um, you know, I, I didn't necessarily have that same, for lack of a better term, just like feeling um, that he was having. But, you know, obviously it all hits us in different ways. But I guess for you personally, you know, walking through there, what were your emotions? Yeah, it, it, I've been to the Yad Vashem, been to the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum, which, by the way, the street it's on is Raul Wallenberg Way. Right. Oh, wow. So I mentioned Wallenberg, say my grandma. Uh-huh. That's how prominent he is. And wow. It's always very somber. And I write about this in the book, visiting the Holocaust Museum with my grandmother, Mm -hmm. holding her hand and just walking in silence. And listen, you look at pictures of prisoners in Auschwitz and you wonder, could that be my great grandparents there? Could that be, you know, a family member? I mean, and, you know, when I when I went to the museum with my grandma, she said, there's one thing I want you to see before anything else, because there's a little bit of like an exhibit for Raul Wallenberg. It's called Wallenberg's Corner. Mm -hmm. And we and we went right there. And we just looked at his picture and we, we read the text again. He saved her twice and you can read the book to find out how, but it was really remarkable. And so it was actually very cool because a, a tour guide at the time was taking, taking a group of college age kids by that part of the museum. And he, he said, yeah, this is Wallenberg. I have to double check exactly. He did, kind of didn't know the story. And for whatever reason, I interrupted. I said, excuse <laughs> yeah. me, sir, this is my grandmother and Wallenberg saved her life twice. I'm sure she'd be happy to tell you wow. about it. And she spoke to them for like a half hour. Everyone was crying and hugging. I'm sure, like, yeah. Wow, that's it, amazing. It, it was incredible. But listen, it, it's I get very insular in those environments. But I always tell people, like, if you're in D.C., if you're in Jerusalem, like, go to these museums. You will not walk out of those doors the same person you walked in. Yeah. You know, something – I mean, that perspective, something changes. I want to go to the one in D.C. I've never been there, that one. Yeah, it, it, it's incredible. I mean, it, it, it's big. It's, it's a big experience. It's a painful history, but you know, my, and this is kind of related to my book. Like my grandma's always said, like, just because stories are difficult to tell doesn't mean you shouldn't tell them, Yeah. you know? And it's like, it's an imperative to, to tell the story of the Holocaust in that way. Cause people need to know so that it never happens again. Mm-hmm. Now, did, did your Judaism sort of lead you to play basketball in Israel or did it just sort of fall in your lap and sort of how was that experience? And how was the experience overall playing basketball in, in Germany and, and uh, overseas? The experience playing basketball overseas is incredible. Like I always grew up thinking I'd play in the NBA and wanting to play in the NBA, right? So, and I was you know, on the cusp. I was the second leading scorer in the conference. I had this really traumatic knee injury. So I made my career in Europe, which at the time, I don't want to use the word failure, but kind of, you know, it felt like it's not exactly where I wanted to be. But as soon yeah. as I got over there, you know, you're playing basketball for a living, very high level competition. It's also interesting that I played my first year in Germany, right? And I write my right, book yeah. and I'm, I'm 
probably the only professional basketball player who had to call his grandmother to ask permission to sign his first contract. And that's true. <laughs> yeah. As soon as my agent said it's, my offer is in Germany, I said I have to call my grandma. And uh, I'll never forget what she said to me. She said, she, of course, blessed it. She said, you should go. And she said, sons are not responsible for the sins of their fathers, mm-hmm. right? Meaning that Very you can't blame this generation yeah. for what that generation did. So pretty amazing, but great experience in Germany, three years in Spain. To your question, it was Judaism that brought me to Israel eventually because I played in the Maccabean games in 2009 in Israel. Mm-hmm. Bruce Pearl, you know, the great Bruce yep. Pearl yep. was my coach. That's where I played with Dane. You know, we won the gold medal, but I had never been to Israel and it was a life-changing experience. And my sister was there. My parents were there. And I remember talking to my sister about it like a week after we'd been there. And I was like, I'm going to finish my career here. You know, this is where I want to be. And and I did last four years. I played in Israel. It's funny. Everyone has that experience when they first go to Israel. When you get home, it's like, oh, I could really fucking move there. I could live there. (laughs) But but only only a few certain people actually have the balls to do it. (laughs) Well, listen, it it helped that there was a professional league there where I could play basketball. But it was, it was an incredible experience. I mean, and my, so my dad, my dad's family fled communist Romania and they had passports to go to Israel, but, but at the last minute they were able to get to the United States. They spent six months in Rome and they got to the U S but most mm. of our family went to Israel. So I was able to reconnect with family. They came to watch me play, so cool. you know, and it was, it was incredible. And it was, yeah. it was Israel that was there for Jewish families after the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. You know, and so right. yeah. when you really get get in touch with that, and for me, like it was it was spiritual in a lot of ways. It really was. It was, it was such a meaningful experience. They also love sports over there too. I mean, I got to play in Maccabee in I think 2017, and we played in uh, Pies Arena. If you, I'm sure you know Pies Arena in Jerusalem, where uh, mm-hmm. like a, a team that Amari played for. That's their arena. I, I played for Hopwell Jerusalem, but we had uh-huh. an older arena. You know, yeah, it, it definitely seemed pretty pretty new. But it yeah. was crazy. Like we played hockey there, and there was like ten thousand people at the gold medal game. It was like it was honestly probably the biggest crowd I've ever played in front of in my life. It was it was really cool. And so I'm sure you can you know relate to the crazy fans that were there when you were there. Incredible. Oh yeah, and they, you know they love sports. Definitely basketball is very popular. I mean, I remember the opening ceremonies for the Maccabee games, like tens of thousands of people filling the stadium to cheer on like Jewish athletes from all over the world. Yeah, it, it was it was just the most amazing experience. Can you also rewind back to playing for Bruce Pearl? Because I actually saw recently, I listened to his interview, uh, a good friend of ours, Jake Marsh, who came on the show a couple of times, hosts the Barstool Benchmop show where they interview college basketball coaches, players. And uh, they had like a nice Jewish moment in that interview talking about like matzo ball soup and stuff. But I mean, Bruce Paul, Bruce Pearl seems like the fucking man. Yes, you would be correct. <laughs> Bruce, Bruce is the best man. And like, uh-huh. so I have a, I'm very close with Bruce and his family because Bruce was a coach at UW-Milwaukee when I was in high school in Milwaukee. My dad was the dude wow. of the buck. So I went to high school with Bruce's kids. And, you know, then Bruce went to the University of Tennessee, which is where my dad played. Mm-hmm. You know, so wow. Bruce is just a dear, dear friend and his son, Stephen, his, his daughter, Jackie, and the, the rest of the family. And so, and Bruce is, he's just a hell of a basketball coach. He's mm-hmm. the best motivator I ever played for. I mean, he, he's with you 100%, but he's not afraid to, you know, some coaches, like they do a lot of chirping, you know, and sometimes you start to tune it out uh-huh. when Bruce, Bruce would raise his voice and people would listen. And I played for so many coaches and I, I didn't see it like I did with Bruce, how you can relate to relate to your players, connect with them, hold them accountable, hug them and kiss them and cheer them on when they're performing for you and get in their ass when they're not. Cause he would do that to me. I mean, he would chew me out sometimes when I needed to step up and mm-hmm. he got me there, but he would, 
be the first one to support me. So everything you see of him, it's the truth. He's the best. And dude, Auburn's the number one team in the yeah. country. No, I was just going to say, no, I was say year. He's, his career now is this, the longevity of his career. He's, you know, he doesn't quite have the championships, but he's getting up there. You know, if he coaches the next 10 years, with coach K and, and Roy Williams, and he's one of the, and uh, Bayheim, he's, he's almost there. He's, he's one of the great coaches of this generation. And, you know, he was an inch away in 2019 against Virginia, right? They went to the final yeah. four, you know, so like, He's, he's been on the doorstep of a championship. I, I hope he gets one. I think he will. But that won't define him as right. a coach because he's been so successful. But the other thing about him is he impacts the lives of people he play, who play for him, myself included. You know, and that, that's the most important thing. Right. I want to ask you, too. I, I, this might be like a little, you know, tougher of a question necessarily. But, um, you know, as someone who played in the Maccabee and, and played a sport that there aren't so many Jews in, in hockey. And I know a lot of more, you know, Jewish people do play basketball, but not necessarily at the high level like you played at. So, um, you know, for you as a, a Jewish division one athlete, professional athlete, did you ever get shit for being Jewish? Like, I, I know I got, you know, a couple things here and there sometimes, but, um, you know, anything that kind of sticks out because it, it does really happen sometimes and it, it sucks to talk about, but it's, it's just, it, you know, it's the truth. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it's the reality. And, you know, I write about in my book, like the anti-Semitism that I experienced growing up. You know, I mm -hmm. had kids call me Jew boy. There was a swastika painted on a, a piece of property in my hometown. like In Wisconsin? I'm it, assuming not New Jersey. No, in New Jersey. Northern oh, New really? Jersey. Wow. Yep. Yep. So, and listen, like when I was in business school at Stanford, someone defaced our campus with swastikas, right? Like, like I think I, I write in the book, like if you're Jewish, you've experienced anti-Semitism. And even if you can't see it with the naked eye, it's there under the surface. That's yeah. the unfortunate reality of the world we live in. As it relates to basketball, I didn't really feel it as a basketball player. I, I did. There were a time where I had a teammate like tell a, a, a joke about Jewish people or make a comment, but nothing, which is still anti-Semitism, by the way, but yeah. nothing like directed at me. Mm -hmm. um, my, my dad says the same thing. You know, he went to school down south of Tennessee. You know, but oh, yeah. he, he also kind of as an athlete didn't feel it as much, but certainly in our lives, we've experienced anti-Semitism you know, often, unfortunately. So how cool is it for you to be in a locker room with an entire Jewish team in Maccabee? I mean, that, for me, that was like, it, it, it's, it's this weird feeling of you just walk in and everyone's just like automatically good friends. <laughs> it's the best. You know, listen, yeah. there, there's a real sense of brotherhood and talking about the Holocaust and anti-Semitism, which I'm doing a lot now. I get a lot of questions around like, what advice do you give to people when they experience these things? And what I say is like, be proud of who you are and where you come from. But also we need to be close as a community, you know, because we have each other. And I think the Maccabee games is such a great example of that, where you get Jewish athletes from around the country to play with each other. And then Jewish athletes from around the world to play against each other. And so there's also, for me, I felt that kinship with our opponents and I still keep in touch with, with people that we played against. And in fact, because of the book, I've had several reach out to me like, hey, like Team Canada 20, you know, <laughs> 2009 or like Team Argentina. And so, yeah, it's such a sense of camaraderie and kinship uh, yeah. without a doubt. That's super Dan, cool. I could, I could tell you really been on the media tour because you're asking the good questions for us that we're not asking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Listen, so, someone's got to do the work here. Yeah. But, <laughs> you know, <I> <laughs> so those are the good questions. How about this on your on your media tour? Did you get any really weird, unique questions? Anything funny? I know you did, you've done a lot of these interviews. That's a good, you know, I think because of the content of the book yeah. where like, yeah. no, no one goes like too, too crazy. But listen, if you have them, please, please challenge. I think like, I love funny. And listen, like the book, 
people have been reaching out to me like they laughed and they cried and that's mm-hmm. what you really want because like that's what life is you know there are moments of joy and pain and tragedy and triumph and so listen i'll tell you one thing that i write a i write in the book about having dinner with larry bird which was a, an amazing dream right he's one of my childhood heroes one of the best players in nba history and because i was a little nervous this is right when i graduated from from school yeah, from college I was downing ice water, you know, so I had to go to the bathroom pretty bad, but I would not get up from the table huh. to use the restroom. And it kind of got me into a little bit of trouble. And I go into detail about this in the book, <laughs> but uh, someone, I, I guess the one question is someone asked me in an interview, listen, there must've been an opportunity for you to get up and use the bathroom <laughs> at some point during that. And I, I, I answered, honestly, I said, there were a million opportunities. I could have, I'm a, I was, a, you know, I was a young adult. I could have excused myself at any point in time. I just didn't because I was sitting next to Larry Bird and like yeah. I lived and breathed basketball. So That's I guess like, funny. you know, stuff about that kind of are, are funny questions. Do you, do you still, first of all, do you still play ball? I, I do occasionally. So I have a really nice run with some, some guys that I play with and I, yeah, I enjoy so, it. So you have guys, I was to say, do you ever walk in a gym and guys are, you know, picking players and I'm like, I guess that guy's kind of tall. We'll take him. And then you just dominate. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen. no offense, but you know, us Jews and you got the glasses and but <laughs> the glasses. <laughs> I have glasses. I'm just not wearing them. <laughs> I, I wear the glasses when I play too. I want to really like, like exactly. portray that. No, I'm yeah. Um, so I, the game that I play with, we all know each other. It's yeah. competitive, but not that competitive. Like, and that's what I'm looking for. I don't want to be challenged because like, you know, when you played at that level, there is a switch that like for me yeah. at this point in my life, I do not want anyone turning that switch on because <laughs> you know, I just don't want to get hurt. I don't want to like go there. Dude, all through my life that had happened to me though, where I'd walk into a gym and like, you know, for what, like I wasn't the guy that was picked, but like, and by the way, and I'm very, very honest about this in the book. I had a huge chip on my shoulder because of things like that. And I tell a story where my dad retired from playing for the Knicks and he was like a broadcaster and assistant coach. Uh, summer camps would have him come to do like clinics and shooting clinics. So he'd be talking to like 10, 11 year old kids. And I was like five or six, but he'd put me in the audience. And when he asked for a volunteer, he'd call to, to shoot. He'd call on me because he knew I could shoot. <laughs> it was rigged, yeah. but, it, but everyone was laughing at me because I was a small little runt, uh-huh. but I would go up there and let it fly and they would shut up pretty quickly. But even that, like, I just like always had this sense, like, you know, people might not believe in you, or, or see what's in you, but you have to show them. Well, you know, you know the videos I love on, on YouTube. It's like athlete goes undercover. Not that you're undercover, but athlete goes <laughs> undercover. Like Ricky Fowler, and then he's just bombing. Um, or I guess Kyrie sort of does that with the Uncle Drew. That yeah. must have been awesome. Scalab- not that not that you were hiding anything, but just that you come <laughs> in. <laughs> yeah, I mean Brian Scalabrini has that great great clip of playing yeah. like you know uh, non you know civilian player. We could say, uh, yeah. But listen, I also like you respect everyone who plays and. For for me at this point, man, it's just about enjoying the game, playing yeah. with people I, I I like. And back back in the day, you know, those competitive juices ran you know very freely. But now we're trying to keep it all in check. Is there a player comparison for you to a current NBA player? Current NBA player? Oh boy, I'll tell you. Let me tell you, a, like a, a past combination of players who I was kind of similar to. Okay. Kobe. It, <laughs> yeah, you you've seen Michael Jordan and, and Jack, yeah. like no. Uh, these are going to be a little niche, but so Michael Dunleavy, who's a very good friend of mine, okay. but Mike's taller than me. Um, and then if you know, if you remember Andres Nocioni, who played for the Chicago Bulls, Bulls no? yeah, it's yeah. A, yeah, it's a little bit niche, but he was like kind of rugged, 
you know, but like Mike really had a good feel for the game and could do a little bit of everything. You could handle it, could shoot it, could pass it. But I was, I was smaller than Mike. So I was a little bit, you know, more physical, I think. And so like Nocioni kind of had that hard nosed game. So listen, that's, you know, that's really the comparison. That's like Joe Engels. Actually, Joe's a good friend of mine. So we played against each other in both Spain and Israel. Joe, Joe is a great guy. Joe's a better ball handler and playmaker. He's also bigger. So Joe is six, seven, but he's long. Uh, and I think his arms are long. Like he, he just has good length, but yeah, a little bit, right. Someone who can shoot and make plays. Uh, yeah, that was, yeah. But I, I, I also was a little bit more of a slasher as compared to Joe, but listen, Joe is, Joe is the man. He also, unfortunately just had a knee injury, yeah, but I know. incredible, incredible career. I didn't realize he played in Israel. That's so cool. Oh yeah, he played for for Maccabi Tel Aviv, and yeah, so we we caught each other in a couple of different spots. Who would you say is your uh, like closest friend from your playing days that you still talk to all the time? Well, you know, my college teammates are like you know one of my best friends in the whole world is one of my college teammates, I mean, and I'm extraordinarily close with a bunch of those guys. So our, our crew from Stanford is still very close. I mean, my childhood friends are guys I played like you know, rec league ball and all that stuff. But from my professional career, I made a lot of really great friends. But one of my best friends, a guy named Sean James, who uh, played at Northeastern with JJ Berea, led the country in block shots in college. I think every year led every league he played for in Europe in block shots, including the Euro league. He now actually works for the jazz. Him and Joe Ingles played together for Maccabi Tel Aviv. So Sean James, one of my closest friends, just the best. And actually I'll tell you a funny thing. We played together. And he says, great shot blocker. And I shot floaters, you know? So in practice, he would never block my floater. And I would be talking to him like, dude, you block everyone, but you can't block my floater, you know? And then he went to Maccabi Tel Aviv and I went to Hopwell Jerusalem. And then we played against each other. He would block my shot on national TV three times a game. And I was like, where was like, like, you know, so you couldn't do it in practice. And now everyone's watching it. He was just wiping it all away. Showing you up. Showing me up. That's so time. funny. The one, the one nickname that, uh, not nickname, like Nick's New York Knicks name that, uh, yeah. you know, comes to mind thing of Stanford is, uh, like Landry Fields, you know him at all. I was a big, I was actually a huge yeah. Landry Fields fan when he was in the Knicks. Landry's he was almost friend. like rookie of the year. He was sick. Oh, he, he was, was so yeah, good. He was amazing that year, rebounding the ball, you know, playing with so much energy, doing a lot. So Landry came the year after I left. And so we would take Landry on recruiting visits with Brooke and Robin Lopez. You know, so oh, uh, and it's yeah. and they're all great guys. You know, Brooke and Robin were just massive, right? So here are seven foot, you know, sixteen <laughs> year old kids, and Landry grew into his body. He was gangly, you know, wide shoulders, and so we were like, and we were like Stanford, you know, we were Stanford, and we were the number one team in the country my sophomore year. So we were like, wow, you know, these guys were kind of tagging along on at parties and stuff, but like they all, you know, they all blossomed, and so good friends with all those guys, proud of them all. Yeah, the amazing careers, all of them. Very cool. John, you want to move into uh Matzball minute? Yeah, I, I do want to ask just like one more serious one because I feel it, like yeah. I feel like we gotta talk about it, you know, like since oh, it's yeah. so it's so popular in the news right now. But you know, you did this tour like we've been talking about like a million times, and um, you know, like we said, Holocaust Remembrance Day was last week, and then Whoopi Goldberg's comment comes out. Like what like obviously there's a lot of back and forth on it about social media, like how has she not been fired, like all this stuff, but well, like someone like you, what do you, what's your takeaway on, on those comments? Because you're obviously like very in tune with it. Yeah. So her, her comments were that the Holocaust wasn't about race, right? Yeah. Which is a fundamentally inaccurate comment, but 
you know, it really shines a light on some of the, the misinformation, lack of knowledge, lack of awareness about the Holocaust, which really starts with education. And so mm -hmm. this is obviously something I'm very, matters a ton to me, very passionate yeah. about, about because of my family's background. But when I see things like this happen, because I'm not, it's not about Whoopi Goldberg, right? This is just one incident that is kind of illustrative of a greater trend of, you know, we don't, we don't talk about the Holocaust much. We have a couple days to remember it, but like it's mandated education, I think in 23 or 50 states, yeah. right? So a lot of people don't, don't learn about the Holocaust. And that's a huge part of my book is like, I want people to read a really amazing, great basketball story and learn about the Holocaust. So that's kind of the angle that I take. And it wasn't just Whoopi Goldberg there. Mm -hmm. You know, we saw in Tennessee that the graphic novel Mouse, you know, was removed from curriculum, you know, so that these kids don't get that exposure to the Holocaust. And there was comments months ago in, in Texas that, you know, that you need to share opposing views of the Holocaust, right? Which th there are none, right? Mm -hmm. the, the Holocaust was what it was. And so all these issues kind of, I, t I take to heart and I yeah. just hope that, you know, we continue to try to educate people. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I'll say it just, I think just emphasizes how important, you know, your book and, and sort of, you know, getting different types of people to understand what happened and, and the atrocities. So um, I think it just emphasizes how important uh, what you, what you wrote was. Thank you, man. Thank you. We do have a, a little fun segment on a lighter note that we like to do. It's called the Motswell Minute. Just some like quick hitter questions. So we'll start off with uh, with what could be a fun one. Um, I don't know if this is something that you dream of, but if your book were to turn into a movie, who's playing you? Ooh, a young Woody Harrelson. A young. <laughs> that's uh, yeah. That goes back to Brett's question, right? The if white man can't jump. That's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of. I didn't yeah. even put that together, but yeah. Oh, you didn't? I thought that's like the whole reason why you said Woody Harrelson. No, 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 no. No, oh, honestly, just like a, I just, I, I just, just a, that's, I think it'd be a good, I think yeah. just a good looking cool yeah. guy, right? Yeah. That's it. I feel like that was the obvious. I thought you were saying that like as a joke. <laughs> just because he was Billy Hoyle? No. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I guess, uh, you know, I, I don't know what goes into writing or publishing a book. So for you, this is probably what, like a three-year process, I imagine. Like, like what is your favorite or most rewarding part about making this book come to life or surprising something you didn't yeah. expect before writing a book. Yeah. So five years end to end for me from when I started working on it to when it came out five years, the, you said? five years. Yeah. Wow. From writing it to two months ago, basically where, when it hit shelves, just the details that I uncovered, you know, some of them very sad, some of them very happy, but just the, like how often do you pull these incredible threads for your family history? Yeah. Um, and so I'll tell you a very quick story. This might elongate the matzo ball minute, but totally fine. It's always every time, minutes. every episode. Yeah. <laughs> you know how it is. You know, so my dad was this incredible high school basketball player in Queens, New York, and he was just like unstoppable scorer. Then he went to the University of Tennessee with a lot of fanfare. And as I, we were talking about, you know, the book and his background, his history, he told me about the first college game he ever played. And he was like, hey, man, like I remember sitting in the locker room at halftime. And like someone had a stat sheet and I was like, oh, I have nine points in the first half of my first college game. So if I have nine points in the second half, I'm going to have 18 points. And like this, this basketball thing in college, like could, could work out. And he's like, mm -hmm. so how many points do you think I have in the second half? And I thought it would be like two. And I was like, I don't know, like what, two? He's 30. like, no, 19. Uh. <laughs> so he's like, so I had 28 points. And then I was like, oh, this could go really well. You know, and he yeah. was an all SEC player as a freshman. He left Tennessee as a school's all-time leading scorer. So like, Little stories like that where like my dad would never have, you know, remembered that, you know, if not for this book. Mm -hmm. That's a cool one. Brett, you want to ask the next one? 
So I don't know how long you were at the Knicks, but do you have a favorite teammate? Anyone you, you connected with? I was with the Knicks for about three hours. <laughs> so who'd you have lunch yeah. with that day? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, listen, I, I went to training camp with the team in 2008. I was cut right before the season started. Uh, it, it was a great experience. And I'm very candid about it in the book. Like at that point in time, I was just hell bent on making the NBA. So the fact that it happened to be the Knicks was kind of lost on me then. I wish I would have appreciated that more. Mm-hmm. Jamal Crawford was amazing to me. He yeah, was, he's just everything like you think he is. Like, he's just such a great guy. And, you know, I'm a training camp invite, you know, so, so it's a little bit different, but, you know, we would shoot together after practice. He was just really cool with me. David Lee was amazing with me. You know, Nate Robinson is a friend of mine because we played against each other in college. Mm-hmm. So Nate was awesome. And, you know, I would shoot free throws with Eddie Curry and Jerome James. And we would talk about, you know, TV show, you know, just, yeah. I could really go down the list. Like dudes were just like cool with me. And, and I really, really appreciated that. Oh, I was just saying, you text Nate Robinson after the Jake Paul fight. <laughs> Dude, I give Nate credit, man. And by the way, and this is true. Cause like I played against Nate, like from when we were 18 years old and like he is five, nine maximum. And he plays like he's six, nine. Yeah. I'm not kidding you. He's like he, he was an unbelievable force of nature. And so to, to, to throw his hat in the ring, literally, and, and try to box. Like, I give him credit, man. He's a powerhouse. And, you know, our freshman year in college, he played football at Washington. Like, that's the amazing athlete he is. He was, he was on the football team and basketball team. He's an Allen Iverson type. Dude, uh, incredible. So, I give him a lot of credit. Brad, what were you going to say? My bad. I didn't mean to jump in front um, of you. No, I was just going to say that, like, grow, like, when I think of growing up watching the Knicks, that's sort of my era. Yeah. As bad as they were. Uh, the Eddie Curry, Jamal Crawford, Nate Robinson, Jerome James. Um, so it's so cool that you were Malik Rose. Well, Malik was great. I'll throw another name, Danilo Gallinari, because uh, Gallo mm-hmm. was a rookie. That was his rookie year. And so I was a training camp invite, but he was a rookie. But we were both kind of new. So we hung out. And Patrick Ewing Jr. was also a training camp invite. And him and I grew up together because our dads played together. And, mm-hmm. you know, my dad was the gym of the team. So, like, Pat is a dear friend of mine. So, of course, like, Pat is, you know, a deep, deep friend. But Gallo was super cool, too. That is cool. This That's is awesome. bringing out like my next childhood. Yeah, is, those are those are names. I mean, I haven't heard Malik Rose or the, I mean, Jared 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 Mark, Marty, uh, Marty Collins, Marty Wilson Chandler, Stephon Marbury. That was Steph left uh, yeah, he was like very soon after is David that Lee? season started. Yeah, yeah David. He was one of the ones I mentioned because he was D. Yeah. Lee was great to me. I tell a funny story in my book about going to training camp and the first day and David calling me and asking me to get poker chips for the guys because they needed it. You know, I was like having my pre-practice nap. So I had to like, that was like when you took cabs. So I like took a cab to a Costco. I'm like, <laughs> I write, yeah, it's all in the book. But yeah, that, so it, it was an awesome experience. So I, I guess this kind of leaves us to the last one, but what's next for you? Like, what is your day-to-day right now? Um, is there anything else that you want to like accomplish with this story or is there, you know, or, something? Or your yeah. next venture, anything yeah. you're interested in? Yeah. So, I mean, times are busy. You know, I have, as you know, my family and uh, my, my job, my book. So there, there's a lot going on. But I think as it relates to the book, it's about sharing the story. You know, it, it really is. And there's, I, I say a lot, like, there's a lot of darkness in the story, but there's much more light. And I always got such a, a feeling of inspiration from just knowing what my grandparents went through, what my dad went through. And so I kind of had the opportunity to dream big. Cause I would just look across the kitchen table and see like my dad, like his parents survived the Holocaust and he came to America as an immigrant who didn't speak English and lost his brother and look what he accomplished. And so that always motivated me and, uh, and gave me a lot of hope. 
And so I hope when people read this book, they get the same feeling. And I, I want that to continue. I want to continue to talk about it, continue to spread the word. Uh, we've, you know, we've had conversations about adapting the story in other formats, which is really exciting. And so just to continue to kind of spread this story is, you know, is really, really meaningful for me. Yeah. No, I, I, I would love to watch like a film on it too, like a documentary or, or something like that'd be really cool. Woody Harrelson is going to play me. By yeah. the way. You know, <laughs> yeah. So Dan, just to wrap it up. We like to ask like one final question. Um, and I'm, I'm sure you're going to knock this one out of the park, but if you can go back and talk to the 15 year old version of yourself, what kind of advice would you give him or what would you tell him? I would tell him to smile more. Okay. Um, I was, and not in my life, but in my basketball career. Cause I, or in basketball, I guess it's not a career at 15. Although actually for <laughs> me, it did feel like a career. And I guess that's yeah. the point, you know? Um, and I'm very honest about this in the book. You know, it, it's good to be motivated and to be serious and to be disciplined, but you have to have joy and, and, and there needs to be kind of like a lightness to what you do. And so if I could go back and talk to my 15 year old self, I'd say, Hey man, stay motivated, keep working, you know, keep having big goals and going after them, but try to enjoy it and try to smile. Cause, cause actually you'll, you'll play better and you'll feel better about it. It's so true. Honestly, like as an athlete, I always felt like I played better when I like didn't give as much of a fuck. If that makes sense. <laughs> Dude, it's a hundred percent true, man. Yeah. Like, but, but you need to, you need to care and you need, yeah. you know, you need, you need that edge and like, and, and, but there's a point of diminishing returns and I far exceeded that. And, and you'll see that in the book very clearly, but you know, obviously with time you get perspective, but yeah, man, just got to, you got to push, but you got to enjoy it. I, I want to ask you actually one more thing. Are you going to like not force, but are there expectations for your sons to play basketball? None, none. And there, there weren't any for me. And so you got, I'm going to let my kids explore the world, see what they love to do and I'll support them in that. And listen, that being said, there is a little tights basketball hoop in our living room. There are basketballs <laughs> all over the house. Uh-huh. Listen, guilty, right? Like their choice. Like, yeah, their <laughs> choice. A, but a nudge. It's a nudge. It's not a push. <laughs> it's exposing them to things that that daddy and mommy both like. But uh, no, man, none whatsoever. Like, if my kids want to do theater or the arts in other ways, or be soccer players or basketball players or whatever it is, we'll we'll support them in that. Okay, as as Barstool Big Cat always says, this is the last last question. Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> well, every 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 time you talk, I just have more things just come to my head. Um, but you know, there, there are a lot of people. So like, this isn't necessarily that like bothers me, but I try to see like a lot of people's perspectives and there's so many people out there who, who say like, why do people care so much about sports? They're just fucking games. Like they don't mean anything, but obviously sports for you are, are like not necessarily your entire life, but they essentially saved your family in somewhat of a sense. So like, I feel like out of anyone I've ever spoken to in my life, sports matter the most to you and your family. So the people who like don't think sports matter, sports are important. Like, what do you say to that? I'm probably gonna have another question after. <laughs> Let's keep going. No, it's fine. I can't leave anyway, so we might as well talk about it. Uh, listen, sports brings all people together, even right, even communities. And so I was talking to someone today who's from Cincinnati, and the Bengals are gonna play in the Super Bowl, and like the whole the families are getting together, the towns, right? So like sports is this the ultimate connector for my family basketball saved my dad right mm-hmm. my, again my my dad was born from the ashes of the holocaust my grandparents survived the holocaust they lost their oldest son when they got to america they were able to be in montreal and watch my dad become an olympic gold medalist for the united states of america right what and, and my book is called by the grace of the game like i i went to stanford i've had opportunities in 
in life and I've had resources and like that all happened because of basketball. And by the way, like, as we said, like my best friends are through the game, but, and a lot of those best friends come from places that are a lot different from where I come from. And, and so that also is something the game did. It helped me meet people from around the world. I have friends from Lithuania and Argentina and different places in the state. So for all those reasons, like the game of basketball for my family, but sports in general is this incredible vehicle. You know, and I think that's why as fans, we love it so much because you could see it, you know, that every time you turn on TV, every single athlete has a story. It, it, it meant the world to them. And you, you know, you play, right. Yeah. You, you know, like it means the world to them. And so, yeah, like anyone who says sports are dumb, I, I respectfully disagree. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's definitely, uh, you know, some people have a different perspective on that, but I promise you I don't have any more questions. Um, thank, thank you so much yeah. for doing this. It's been a blast to talk to you seriously. And, um, you know, maybe later down the road we can uh, get together or something and, or do another recording or whatever, you know, love to always. Thanks, Dan. I can't wait for people to hear this. This was awesome. Yeah. You got it, fellas. Thanks so much. We just want to take a second to thank Dan Grunfeld for coming on. Uh, for anyone who listened, anyone still listening, such an awesome guy and such an incredible story that has to be shared and hopefully will be continued to share. Um, I know Brett and I really appreciate it. I know Cappy wished he could have been on there, but we just want to thank Dan one more time. Yeah, you know, it's an awesome interview, awesome story. Uh, can't wait to check out his book. Everyone should check it out if they get a chance by the grace of the game. Um, just a fun dude, a cool dude, like under, like has, you know, family, understands me and a family and what's important in life. And it was just, it was just an awesome interview. Yeah. And I know Brett and I and, and Cappy kind of touched on, you know, what we're going through the last couple of weeks in the intro and just how good times are ahead, but something that'll really help you out with getting through those tough times, which I've honestly relied on the last couple of weeks, mindset, wellness, CBD. Like I always say, you know, there are the best CBD company out there. I literally use their products almost every day. The Calm Gummies have really helped me out through the winter just with seasonal depression and all that. So I highly recommend going to mindsetwellness.com. Use our code LACA10 for 10% off and you'll get free shipping on your order. That's LACA10, L-A-T-K-E-10 at mindsetwellness.com. You can also check them out on Instagram at mindsetwellnesscbd. I think that's going to wrap it up for this week's episode. We're going to hopefully get back on track and post episodes weekly. We really want to thank you guys for listening and we'll hopefully talk to you guys soon. Love you.